Today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Miller's Law, a veteran-founded and run law firm. Miller's Law is giving back to the community that gives so much by making an incredible special offer to our listeners. For the next 30 days, Miller's Law is offering veterans and first responders a family will and power of attorney for only $299. Typically, a will in POA can cost over $2,000. That's a $1,700 savings. This offer is a meaningful way to say thank you for your service for all veterans and first responders. To take advantage of this amazing gift, don't wait. Go to millerslaw.com, M-I-L-L-A-R-S law.com, or email them at info at millerslaw.com. If you prefer to phone, you can call toll-free 1-888-855-5547. That's 1-888-855-5547. Don't delay. Do it today. Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. And we're rolling with Christian Stenner. We are live, live streaming on both LinkedIn Live and Facebook Live at the same time because I'm kind of a big deal and I got all that kind of equipment. Christian, thanks so much for uh, making the time to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's so important. There's um, one of the reasons that I put the show together is that there's a thousand um, different events for fundraising and a thousand different resources for veterans and first responders and their families but they're not all put in one place. So this is the best time can do to put it all in one place. So I talk to everybody that I can that's got something on the go, that's got something cooking. Now, you and I um, uh, met through cadets as a cadet officer. And actually, I, uh, I'd like to start there. Uh, how many years did you uh, serve as a, as a cadet officer, or are you still? Uh, yeah, I still am. And I would say, well, it's probably been about 17, 18 years now. It's an incredible yeah. amount of dedication. Was it always with the PPCLI cadets? No, I started in Edmonton with a different uh, Army Cadet uh, Corps there and then moved to Calgary and uh, found a home with the PPCLI Army Cadets there. Uh, became the commanding officer after a few years and uh, also uh, the commanding officer of the Expedition Center. So that's a special group for Army Cadets where we take the senior Army Cadets out on different expedition activities. That's exciting. The amount of time that you've put into it, you know, you're you're sure not in it for the money. Um, what keeps you going, Christian? I mean, holy smokes, the, the amount of dedication and, um, and commitment that you've shown over 17 years is extraordinary. Why do you keep doing it? I would say it's uh, the reward comes when you've seen a group of these young folks really grow. And you see the improvements over time and you see that they've picked up 
good skills, not only skills to do things, say, in the outdoors, but the life skills and the leadership skills and, and seeing them grow into to leaders. Uh, it's a su- super rewarding experience to, to see that. Do you have any, uh, you know, without naming names, do you have any before and after stories of uh, kids that came in one way and then and how they were how they were transformed? Yeah, I mean, I I would say uh, there's been uh, dozens of them. You know, the ones that have stuck out the program for, let's say they joined when they were 12 and they were able to kind of, you know, stick with the program until they had to leave when they turned 19. There's a few of those over time that I've really seen grow. And some of those who've gone on to careers in the regular force or uh, in the primary reserve or have joined up as a cadet instructor as well in the reserves. So, you know, to see them go to university or to see them, you know, excel in their careers uh, and and just to see that, that they had come from a different place when they started, when they were just a, you know, a, a deer in the headlights, 12-year-old uh, looking at uh, the parade square and the cadets doing drill for the first time. It's, it's pretty amazing. Do you know the actual numbers of uh, percentage-wise of how many people that we're in the army cadets that end up in the reserves or rake force. No, I don't. And I, I think they had done some studies or, or some uh, statistics, but I just don't have those numbers offhand. Because really, like from the government's perspective, that's the whole point of the, uh, it's not altruistic why, they're, why they have army cadets. It's, uh, it's a recruiting tool. And when you get to the kids earlier, the chances are, like I was in army cadets. Uh, I think Bruce Nickel was in army cadets. And uh, a lot of us were. And it's uh, a lot more likely that you're going to end up joining the military if uh, you had that early exposure. But um, from a, a point of view of the kids, the what I've seen at that cadet corps is just incredible. Like, they love being there and the activities. And what you've done at that corps is about a thousand times better than what I did in Army Cadets. <laughs> You know, and uh, the esprit de corps, how the kids get along together with each other. And um, I'm pretty sure my, my, uh, my boy is going to end up in the reserves as uh, soon, as soon as he can when he hits 16. The um, event that's coming up, tell me about that. Sure. So I could give you, I guess, a bit of the history of, of what happened. So I was involved with the PPCLI Army Cadets, and through uh, the PPCLI Foundation, I got involved in a series of events that we do uh, to raise funds for mental health initiatives for veterans. So the history of that is the, the PPCLI Foundation was put together in the years leading up to the 100th anniversary of the PPCLI. So they put a lot of effort into fundraising and programs around that. Um, So after that event was over, there were a series of other events that I I got involved with uh, that were aligned along uh, along, um, youth military history education. So we did a group of cadets who went to Europe uh, on a battlefield tour and uh, one of the events that was cooked up was called Reaching the Summit for Mental Health. 
And the, the idea was, is we had a couple mountains in Kananaskis country in Alberta that are named after historical figures of the PPCLI. So Mount Buller, Mount Farquhar uh, were the two that, uh, that are sort of locally accessible. So we had two events where we did mountain climbing events where everyone would come join us for a day where we would go climb these summits. And the idea was, is everyone who took part was uh, taking pledges. So they would fundraise, they would get their friends, family to donate to their cause. And then we went out and had, uh, you know, a pretty amazing, adventurous experience. And so uh, that those that series started in 2016. So we had a couple very successful events there. And then what happened was uh, two things. One, we ran out of PPCLI-themed mountains to climb. So <laughs> the, the accessible ones are, are kind of in Kananaskis country. And, and um, rather than do the same ones, again, we were kind of looking for something different. And the other thing that happened was one of the, the folks that was running the program is uh, General Retired Barry Ashton of the PPCLI Foundation. He, he stepped away from the events, um, and so there was a bit of a gap. And so having my foot in the, in the door with the PPCLI Foundation and with the cadet program and with um, exploration of caves... I figured that I had maybe some capacity to roll all of those things together. And we changed reaching the summit uh, for mental health into into the summit for mental health. So we changed the focus to a caving expedition. And so the first one of those that we did was in 2019. And we would have done one in 2020, except for the pandemic. Uh, I'm sorry, was there a pandemic? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) yeah. So so we had to postpone our plans. And we've, we've relaunched the event now for October 24th, 2021. And the idea is, is we're going to go into Grotto Mountain. Uh, it's a fairly famous cave there called Rat's Nest Cave, which is a provincial historic site. And we have room for up to 32 people to join our expedition. And the idea is that they sign up on our website. They uh, take pledges and try to reach a goal amount of fundraising. And uh, all of those funds will be used by the PPCLI Foundation for supporting mental health initiatives for veterans. And it's not just PPCLI veterans. It's anyone in the veteran community. Our past events have raised uh, collectively, I would say, we're close to $150,000 over the course of the, the four or three events we've done, and, and the fourth is now coming up. Oh, that's spectacular. Do you know which organization specifically that the funds are going to? Yeah, so we once we have an idea of how much we'll raise for, for this series, uh, the foundation will look to, to kind of what programs to support. But in the past, we've supported the Outward Bound Veterans Program. Wonderful. Um, we've had some equine therapy uh, programs and service dogs and so, so some of those things that are, they don't get funding from, from other means. So this is a way that they can receive funding um, through the foundation. Oh, that's fantastic and so important. And uh, what have you learned in being in this space and and meeting people that have been deployed? And uh, has there been any misconceptions that have been cleared up for you? Or uh, like, what has it been like for you to be exposed to this world and the world of uh, mental health when it comes to veterans? I guess the big learning for me is is to know that um, there are so many 
different avenues out there um, to support mental health or different programs. But the information, I think you mentioned it, the information is, is sometimes hard to come by. And, um, you know, to make funding available or to make make education available so that people know where to receive help. I think that's important. Um, I mean, I'm uh, not having the same experiences as a lot, a lot of the veterans have in the community that uh, um, have been deployed and, and those sort of things. Uh, I could only imagine that, um, you know, having different reactions and, and seeing kind of how it's affected you is maybe a different, it's a different place to be in that you're not used to. It's an unfamiliar world when you're first discovering that maybe that you have um, some some issues that you might need help with and reaching out to get that help and, and sort of taking that first step perhaps is is a challenge. And, and so hopefully what we can do is, is make funding available for programs that helps people in that. What's next for you? Well, I mean, we have our event on October 24th, so that's uh, definitely going to be um, uh, a big thing on my plate uh, to get things uh, up and running and get the, the program going. So we have uh, a few folks uh, signed up already. We just launched the event uh, a few days ago, so um, we have, I want to say, seven or eight people uh, signed up, and we have room uh, capacity for around 30. So we're hoping that a few more folks will sign up and pledge to to help fundraise for us and then come on this amazing experience. And how do they find you? Just through through Facebook or Eventbrite? Yeah, so we have a Facebook page called Into the Summit for Mental Health, so you could search that. Or uh, you could find us on our website, and that's where you would actually go to sign up is on our website. It's uh, www.canmore.com cavetours.com forward slash into dash the dash summit. Uh, and that's our partners, Canmore Cave Tours, who uh, controls access to Rat's Nest Cave. So you can't just go there. There's a big gate and a lock. So okay. <laughs> we, have, we have special permission to, to run this event. And uh, they've uh, generously donated the uh, some space on their website and uh, uh, the equipment that all the participants need. So we provide all of the equipment to go on into the cave. Uh, we just need people to, yeah, again, support the cause, sign up and uh, do their best to raise funds for, for the cause. And then they'll, they'll be invited to come out on October 24th with us. For as a caver, abseiling is your primary tool, I'm guessing. Uh, but, uh, is rock climbing skills uh, play much of a part as well? Not as much. Uh, no, a lot of the times in caves, we're typically descending. We're not You're going down. <laughs> we're going up. down. Yeah, yeah. And going up is using different skills than uh, rock climbers use. So it's it's sort of like its own its own uh, you know technical climbing equipment uh, that's different from from rock climbing. Uh, but for this experience, you don't need any experience in it at all. We'll uh, provide any of the uh, equipment and everything that you need and the safety equipment, um, carabiners and harnesses. And, and so forth uh, for this. So uh, all you need is, uh, I guess, an, enough fitness to, to go hiking, uh, carry a small pack, and to be willing to crawl around underground uh, in the cave. And uh, it's it's not a cave like some of the show caves that are around in, in the United States where you sort of walk in and there's lights and a staircase and <laughs> those sort of things. So this is undeveloped, um, and we're, we're going to be crawling and, and um, you know, potentially repelling in the cave and, and doing different things like that. Have you ever been in the caves in Gibraltar? 
No. You've heard about them, though? I don't think so. Which which ones are those? So the Rock of Gibraltar, okay, at, yeah. at the south of uh, uh, Spain, um, right next to Al Jazeera, at the narrowest part of where the Mediterranean um, is. And you can see Morocco from across. But the caves are so huge and massive uh, that uh, they actually have concerts in there. So they oh, can wow. have rock concerts in it. Uh, it's the exact opposite of the type of, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's tourist caves, yeah. you know, for sure. Uh, big tours going through it. I think you'd still enjoy it, though. <laughs> it, it's pretty cool. There's um, something so amazing about learning rope skills with kids, you know, and learning to go up a rope uh, to Jumar Prusik. And um, uh, because it's, it's, it's such a rare skill that not too many people know how to do, how to go up a rope. You know, it's not hand over hand. You're using equipment. And um, uh, I think it gives kids a real sense of accomplishment. And it, it's something special, I, I think. For sure. And my involvement in the expedition program with cadets has shown that, uh, you know, once they master that skill, like there's such a sense of accomplishment. And then to go a step further to see them, you know, in a leadership position and, um, you know, not only mastering the skill, but helping their friends, right, to mm-hmm. learn. And this is the teamwork that develops. It's, uh, it's definitely a great thing to see. Uh, how, what's your favorite, uh, uh, method of going up the rope? Are you using a gree gree or what are you using? So we use, um, uh, just a Petzl, usually a Petzl brand ascender. Um, there's, uh, we call it single rope technique for caving. So there's two ascenders, one on a chest harness and one that's like, kind of like the handled ones, like a Jumar, um, that we use. And, um, that's, that's the typical method. Have you ever had to set up uh, like a three to one or five to one hull system to get people out? Yeah, so we do train for rescue and small party rescue and things like that. And uh, definitely there's been times where having some assistance with the hull system, like a three to one or different uh, methods like that can be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's that's a skill unto its own as well. Setting setting that up quickly and uh, load release hitches and, and all that. Um, another rare skill to have, but pretty cool once you have it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we're about there, Christian. Okay. Just, just a short one. Is there anything else you wanted to add? Yeah, actually, I could. Just in relation to the event, uh, so we have already a few folks from the veteran community, a few folks involved from the cadet program. Uh, and uh, one of the the advantages, I guess, for folks who might be interested in signing up as a participant in this event is that uh, myself and a few of the others who are running the event and will be there with the group are the group that uh, confirmed a cave near north of Fernie, BC is the deepest cave in all of Canada. And so our team has been uh, exploring this cave for a few years. And uh, it was in over New Year's Eve of 2017-2018 that finally reached a depth that uh, broke the record for for Canadian caves. And so uh, myself and a few others who are leaders of that project uh, will be joining all of the participants uh, on this event. And uh, it just goes to show that there's so much undiscovered in our country, in Canada. And, uh, you know, the underground is one of those places. So we'll be able to share some of the stories of, of that with the participants in this, uh, on this group. And, um, yeah, we just really hope to have a, a great outcome, raise some funds for, for such an important cause. And, um, and uh, yeah, just have some camaraderie uh, along with it by, by having a great day uh, inside the mountain. 
Well, before we go, tell me about uh, Mount St. Helens. I, yeah, sure. <laughs> crawling into a freaking volcano? What the hell? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm involved in a number of projects to explore what we've called glacial volcanic caves. So these are caves formed in glacial ice on glaciated volcanoes that are active. So the steam and the heat from the active volcano causes cave passages to melt in the glacier. And so these are incredibly unique environments because they're unexplored by humans, for one. Two, they have amazing potential uh, for discovery. Uh, so not only just the physical exploration of them, but uh, we have partners with, uh, say, NASA who are looking for extremophile microorganisms that uh, exist in these environments because they're very similar to where they might want to look and what they might find on some of the icy worlds in the solar system. Uh, we're testing technologies that NASA is using as a potential uh, space exploration robotic technologies. Um, so we're doing that. We're finding out about the volcanoes themselves, right? Obviously, there's heat and steam and gas coming out that form these caves. So we... Um, are measuring those and finding out, uh, well, what are the impacts to the hydrothermal systems of the volcano and so forth. So in the crater of Mount St. Helens, since the eruption, the famous eruption in 1980, a system of caves has developed in the crater, in the glacier that has formed in the crater. And so the, the exploration so far has, has mapped out over three kilometers of cave passages that are, are new uh, and are, are, showing amazing potential we found we found some incredible microbes <laughs> there uh which uh show potential uh to use the volcanic gases they'll instead of um you know most life uh relies on f the photosynthesis right as a base so these are chemoautotrophic uh, microbes that you've been eat. waiting all day to use yeah. that word just yeah. to, just to, just to show <laughs> yeah. off. Yeah, they they can eat essentially eat volcanic gas or rock for energy. So these are very interesting uh, life forms, and some of them actually have potential. Um, so some of the extremophile microbes have potential to produce antibiotic compounds. So some of the multi-drug resistant infections that are cropping up in hospitals and other places, these microbes could be a source of new antibiotics for fighting some of these uh, drug resistant infections. So there's uh, a lot of potential there, as I said. So the eruption for St. Helens was 1980? Yes. I was there in 92 for my driver wheel course, uh, well, uh, in Yakima. And the... Uh, the volcanic ash 11, 12 years later was still about six inches deep. <laughs> yeah. Is it still there? Yeah, there's still a lot of ash and the, the vegetation has really sort of overtaken a lot of areas though. So the, the vegetation over 40 years has grown back a lot, but you can still just totally see the devastation uh, of the surrounding landscape. Like is the evidence is still there. Even after 40 e yeah, years, even after 40 years, it's amazing to see. Um, but uh uh, obviously, it's not recovered completely. It's it's very obvious to see still. Are they expecting it to pop again? Uh, I, I'm not a volcanologist, so I couldn't say for sure. But it's obviously it is still active. There's still gas and steam coming out, and there's still like, it must have been playing on you a little bit. Tiny earthquakes uh, that that happen there frequently, just like yeah. in a lot of other uh, volcanic areas.
Well, they didn't expect it when it when it popped in uh, in 1980. It was, you know, I don't think there was anybody waving flag going, "Hey, it's gonna blow." I think what they had was uh, some signs of eruption coming, but as to what day it was going to happen or anything like that, it was yeah. you know that's yeah, it's certainly hard to predict those things. You must have been uh, it must have been playing on you while you're crawling around in those caves, though. Uh, not as much. I mean, I guess if the volcano had decided to erupt right then, it just wasn't our time. Yeah. Uh, but uh, more so the gas and the steam and that sort of thing. There's definitely yeah. a hazard from from being in a cave created by volcanic gas. That's <laughs> that's uh, That can play on your mind because uh, certainly we've had some close calls uh, in those environments. But uh, as well because the caves are made in ice. Uh, that the ice can collapse. So those are the sort of things that, that we deal with. If somebody wants to get into caving, into, spel- into spelunking, is there yeah. like an association? Where, like where should somebody get started? Sure. Uh, and uh, in, in most countries around the world, there's a caving group or association uh, in each one. And in uh, Canada, each province uh, that has caves typically has one. So uh, here where we are in Alberta, it's the Alberta Speleological Society. And then in British Columbia, the BC Speleological Federation as, as examples. Um, so yeah, you can usually search online and find a group that's close to you. Uh, in the States, it's uh, the National Speleological Society. That, uh, they have groups all around the United States. It's such an interesting environment. Uh, what are some of the weirdest critters that you've seen crawling around in there? Uh, yeah, so interesting critters can live in these environments that are totally dark and very much devoid of nutrients. Uh, but even with that, the life can exist. Uh, and not, not just microbes like I've talked about uh, already, but we see things like crustaceans or uh, one of the coolest ones I'd say is in Mexico in a deep cave, uh, which is Actually, it's the deepest, currently the deepest cave in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, to 800 meters below the surface, there's wow. a, a troglobitic scorpions that live there, and they're eyeless and completely without pigment to their skin. So That's the shit of, of nightmares right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I want to say there's like two theories about uh, like how venomous they are, because I don't think anyone's tested it. Like there's, uh, because there isn't much alive down there, it has to be very venomous to make sure it kills what it stings. But the other theory is, well, because there isn't much life there, it doesn't need much venom because, you know, you know, it doesn't take much to kill things. Can't you just grab one and milk it? And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure some scientist... In the debate? Yeah, I'm sure some scientist has it on their agenda, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be the guinea pig for that. How'd you like that on your resume? What, what do you do? I'm a scorpion milker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I do. Yeah. yeah. Ever so, seen any bioluminescent stuff down there? Um, I've seen some stuff that glows on like UV light. Uh, there's a, you know, different things... Um, microbial mats and things on the walls or different uh, cave formations that can kind of glow, but nothing that glowed on its own. So there are some caves that have things that, uh, like in New Zealand, there's a famous cave there that um, you can see stuff that just glows. Like, um, But uh, nothing, nothing that I've seen personally. Would be cool, though. 
Oh, totally. <laughs> and no dragons down there? No dragons, no. Well, shit. You just haven't gone deep enough, I think. Yeah, well, maybe one day we'll find them. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, maybe in the crater of Mount St. Helens. I mean, there was a huge explosion. Maybe all that energy released. Uh, if you find yeah, a dragon, though, do me a favor. Don't yeah. wake it up. Just back away slowly. Yeah, I'll try not to poke it. Yeah, yeah. try not to poke it. I've already seen that movie. It doesn't end well. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't end well. Yeah. Christian, thanks for being here today, man. Thank you. And uh, just uh, as a... As a parting note, uh, again, that's www.canmorecavetours.com forward slash into dash the dash summit. And uh, you can sign up there and be part of our adventure and help to raise funds for uh, such an important cause. So I just wanted to say, Mark, thank you for what you do uh, with this podcast to bring awareness to um, the resources that are available and the things going on that that affect the community. So thank you very much. Thanks, Christian. I appreciate it. And uh, uh, thank you for your continued service to this community. Thank you. All right. You're listening to Operation Tango Romeo the Trauma Recovery Podcast. At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast.